0: This is a Founding Media Podcast. Welcome to From Tanks to Teleportation, a podcast where we explore the intersection of technology, business, and national security with the leaders of the Defense Innovation Unit, which is part of the U.S. Department of Defense. I'm your host, Dan Dillard. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Zach Walker, the Texas lead for the DIU. Today, we're joined by Congressman Mac Thornberry. He served in Washington as US representative for Texas, 13th congressional district since 1995. In that time, he spent four years as chair of the House Armed Services Committee. As chair, he spearheaded a major DOD acquisition reform project that has received bipartisan support. Before his time in Washington, Thornberry worked on his family ranch with his brothers and practiced law in Amarillo, Texas. Let's jump into our exciting conversation about the legislative work he's done that's made organizations like the DIU possible. Congressman Thornberry, thank you so much for being with us today. I just want to say that I grew up in the Amarillo area in a little town called Hereford, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Most people don't know that it's named after the cow, and yes, there are more cattle than people by a good amount, and I'm so excited to chat with someone from that area. Can we chat about your backstory for a bit? From rancher to congressman, what was that motivation to lead you down this path?
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me, and by the way, in my congressional district, there's still more cattle than people, and we like it that way.
0: <laughs> I like that. I'd like to start with a little bit of your backstory. Um because, from what I've read, it's from rancher to congressman. So, I wanted to understand what the motivation was for, for you to move uh, from being a rancher all the way up uh, to congressman. So, would you share a little bit about your backstory?
1: Well, my family still thinks I'm very strange for what I've done uh, over the past 26 years. But uh, none of my family has ever been involved in politics before. But somehow, as I was growing up, spending a lot of time with my grandfather, riding around in the pickup, doing stuff, I understood that people uh, in Washington, D.C. were making decisions that affected us. Seven miles down a dirt road outside a town of 2000 people. And and so, uh, again, as a kid, I started paying attention to politics and issues and so forth. And then it it, it kind of grew from there. So uh, af- after law school, I moved to Washington as a staff and got a job as a staffer just to try to learn my way around. Um, and, and then moved back home to the Amarillo area, practice law and the cattle business with my brothers. And that's what I was doing when I ran for office. Any
0: lessons learned between being a rancher and, and, and being in Congress?
1: Oh, I'm I'm sure there's uh, lots of lessons. On the other hand, cattle are a lot more uh, predictable and, in many ways, pleasant to deal with than uh, a lot of folks you meet in in politics, especially these days. But but I think the the key lesson again for me was uh, decisions that are made that seem remote, that uh, uh, you know just don't seem that related to your daily life do have consequences. Uh, even if you're out on a cattle ranch, if you're in a suburb, a city somewhere, th- there there are real consequences to the decisions that government makes for us. And so everybody doesn't have to run for office, but everybody has to pay attention
2: and, and vote and be involved. Congressman Thornberry, I just want to say it's a tremendous honor to have you on our show today. So you chaired the House Armed Services Committee from 2015 to 2019. And have to say, first Texan to ever do that, which is really wonderful. Could you talk a bit about some of your greatest accomplishments in that capacity on on Hask?
1: Well, the thing about serving in Congress or any legislative body is that no one accomplishes anything on their own. Uh, you cannot get something even out of the house without convincing 217 other people to agree with you, and then you got to get through the Senate, obviously, in the White House, and so forth. So, I don't think there really is such a thing as uh, individual accomplishments when it comes to to legislative bodies. For for me, as as chairman. Uh, I, I tried to guide the committee, focusing, I guess, in two big areas. Or, or, uh, one is uh, because of the reductions in defense spending, we were having a readiness crisis, and we had to turn that around, and 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 so just top-line dollars as well as where those dollars were spent for training and maintenance and kind of those basic things that don't sound very sexy were a a big thing. The other thing that I started working on before I was chairman was uh, trying to help streamline uh, and and make friendlier DOD for doing business with. uh, Because the... uh, T- the way the world was changing, the speed with which the world was changing, the way the speed with which technology was changing did not fit 1950s style bureaucracies. And so acquisition reform uh, and and trying to help the department be more innovative and a friendlier place for innovation was, was something else that uh, I have thought was important. And frankly, it's, it's continuing even as I'm ranking member, uh, those both of those things have been bipartisan and so chairman Smith Adam Smith and I are continue to work on a lot of these uh, issues in both categories
0: there's typically a thread that takes us from one interest of in life to another to the next step um, and I noticed one thing and I just again growing up in the panhandle and just the, the friendliness and communication that we have as a as a culture up there I can see how that translates in um, 2020 the Almanac... Almanac of American politics, says you are one of Congress's brainiest and most thoughtful members on national and domestic issues, security issues. So I'm curious where your appetite from, for security issues came from.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I as, as a kid, as I was mentioning, I went pretty much directly from reading the Hardy Boys into World War II. And, and so I have been very interested in national security f- from a very early age. Uh, I had an uncle and a couple of great uncles, I guess, who participated in World War II, but nobody in my family is really part of, part of the military. But, but, but again, I, I, I have been incredibly fortunate. When I was a staffer on the Hill, I got to do defense issues. Uh, my first priority after I was elected to Congress was to be on the Armed Services Committee. And now I will uh, complete 26 years there, as well as roughly 14 on the Intelligence Committee. So I have been able to work in the field number that I think, number one, is the most important thing government does, and that is to defend the country, but also where really my passion is. And I'm just incredibly lucky about that.
2: Congressman, you mentioned acquisition reform and certainly you've been a tremendous champion of DOD acquisition reform, trying to get technology that warfighters need as quickly to them as, as humanly possible. In your experience, you've seen all of these DOD innovation organizations come and go. What is your perspective on all of these different efforts and why do they even need to exist at all?
1: Well, uh, as, as, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the, the acquisition system... That had been set up did not meet the need uh, either of the pace of technological change or the myriad of threats and and the way that they are changing and And so we had to do something different uh, and, and and my view has been uh, we need to do try to change the big acquisition system, but on the other hand, Because the need is so urgent, we needed to create some other entities as workarounds, if you will, or other authorities as workarounds so that we could, you know, let a bunch of flowers bloom, see what worked but but also meet the need of the moment because changing the big acquisition system inevitably takes time. We can write all the laws we want to, and DOD will eventually get the regulations to implement those laws, but you're still dealing with culture and the way people have learned how to, uh, to manage a program or, or, or to, to, uh, invest in new technology. So, so, Cultural change takes time. And I think you are seeing now some change, significant change, take place within the department uh, because the department leadership is also on the same page about uh, speeding up innovation and getting. Uh, the best technology our country can produce into the hands of the warfighter faster. But in, in addition, we've had uh, the Strategic Capabilities Office. Uh, you know, DIU was was part of that. Ano- uh, some uh, some additional authorities that that uh, don't go through the whole regulatory process that have been brought online, and you're seeing those used more and more. So I th- I think it's promising, but it's the kind of thing you're not going to solve it with one you know, bill or one mighty whack. You got to keep after it and after it and after it.
0: Over your long career as a congressman, I, I've read where you've been involved in a number of things from uh, leading in creating the National uh, Nuclear Security Administration to improving the nuclear weapons complex to even establishing the, the Department of Homeland Security actually before 9-11 happened. So I'm just curious what concerns you were seeing at that time and how that's changed over time.
1: Well, before nine eleven, you could see uh, some of these terrorist type incidents occur in the in the Middle East. I I moved to Washington and got a job as a staffer doing defense just before the Beirut bombing uh, occurred in uh, in in Lebanon, and and so uh, again, it, it it didn't doesn't take a genius to figure out that we can't be uh, isolated or insulated from those events uh, forever, that they were going to come home to us. But but the other thing, to give credit where credit is due, there was a commission that looked at future security needs. And one of their recommendations was, we've got all of this scattered approach to defend our homeland, and it needs to be brought together into, into one coherent department. So I... Then, and often, I borrow ideas from smart people uh, and, and try to generate some momentum that uh, can help them be enacted. And obviously, after 9-11, lots of folks said, well, we better do something. And, and so it, it, it still wasn't easy. It took some time. But when President Bush uh, decided we needed to do it, 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 it took place.
2: Speaking of momentum, in 2017, you said that you wanted to see more of the Defense Innovation Unit. How we were going to meet our mission. Of course, sir, you came to visit the Austin office in, in 2018, and it was a, a similar message. So a couple of years later, I would love to get your thoughts on on what DIU is doing right. Really, what else should we focus on? You know, what to do the next couple of years hold for for defense innovation?
1: Yeah, I, I think
2: uh, DIU is is getting.
1: It's legs under it and developing momentum uh, in, in a positive way. You know, DIU was, was begun by Secretary Ash Carter, and, and there, were, there was some criticism that this was just Ash's kind of pet project and, and would fade away when he left. Uh, but I, I think that having that essential link between uh, many of our top innovators in the country and DoD has proven valuable and uh, and and will continue to be valuable for, for some time uh, as as you know one of the big challenges uh, for for uh, DIU or a lot of these uh, interactions that that occur with with the uh, with the private sector is how do you take a good idea that is developed and get it into a program of record so that it does get into the hands of the warfighters. Uh, you know, there, there's something that's called the Valley of Death, and it's true not just with programs DIU uses, but the, some of the small business innovation programs and, and a number of things. It, it, so it's still a, it's still a challenge. There are still challenges out there, but uh, I think DIU plays a very valuable role in facilitating that interaction uh that with uh, much of of the civilian sector and Department of Defense
0: since we're all in Texas and Zach I love the boots by the way <laughs> I would like to focus on Texas for a moment and and since you're really familiar with with what's going on uh, within business and Congress uh, in Texas what is your thoughts on how Texas is evolving uh, in your opinion to meet tomorrow's challenges as an innovation center so we're talking about innovation and just What are your opinions about Texas?
1: Yeah, well, it's exciting to me because obviously I want uh, Texas to always be on the forefront uh, not just innovation, but of defending the country. And and so it, it's a lot of things coming together. I think in, in particular, what's happening in, in the Austin area, where you have uh, close proximity to Fort Hood and, and all the bases in San Antonio and so forth, you have more and more of the technology community that is not only moving, but growing in in the Austin area. But you still have the Texas work ethic, the uh, favorable business climate in in Texas. So you get a number of things, and and I I should say, you have the University of Texas and all of its enormous resources. but but they partner with A&M on stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so you get a whole lot uh, there together in a favorable climate. And I think especially when it comes to national security, that is very exciting for for
2: for the future. As Texas goes, so goes the nation. Although I yeah. may be a bit a bit yeah. biased there. So we're going back to the, the DoD. Yeah looking forward again into maybe the next 26 years you know where where do you think the DOD and and frankly the nation in national security need to focus so that the US can remain competitive and maybe more specifically if you were to grade the DOD on innovation what grade would we get ooh um <laughs>
1: i don't know that, that that that's a challenging thing there are some really good things happening uh at, within DOD and within the private sector that often does business with DOD. Uh, on the other hand, I still think it's way too hard uh, for companies, especially small and mid-sized companies who don't often do business with DOD to uh, get a, be a part of that system and to engage and, and bring products and, and services to fruition. So. I don't know maybe we're somewhere in the c minus category uh overall uh but I again that is compared to the need and 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 so to me i I've mentioned this a, a few moments ago never before in our history have we had so many threats to deal with all at the same time from the big strategic nuclear deterrence to you know the very small little germ or, or biological threat that you don't know if it's natural, you don't know if it's man-made, and you don't know how fast it spreads, but you got to be ready to deal with whatever that may be, and and the whole panoply of uh, threats coming from Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, terrorists. Uh, or some unknown. That, that presents an enormous challenge, and, and speed is essential to, to dealing with those things. In addition, we're used to uh, the do- regular domains of air, sea, and land, but now we have the additional domains of space and cyber, and some people think even information can be a domain within itself. And, and so if you look at this matrix, if you will, of threats and, and domains, the only way that we can adequately protect the country and the daily lives, quality of life, et cetera, of, of Americans is to be as innovative as possible, to, to, to be alert in identifying challenges and to have solutions come to the fore, be deployed uh, with people who know what they're doing as, as soon as we can. And, and all of that means we can never be satisfied with uh, the innovation at the department. Uh, we've sti- we've got to keep pushing uh, because the threats and the adversaries keep pushing and looking for, for weaknesses. And, and uh, uh, we do all of that in, in, the, in the defense budget for 15% of the federal budget. Uh, we, in my view, we protect everything else for in the country for fifteen percent of the federal budget, the lowest it's been since I don't know a long, long time.
0: That makes sense. In that same thread, a couple of years ago, you wrote about the correlation between needing a strong and a vibrant economy to fund our military. Uh, fast forward, it's now twenty twenty, and. Our economy has been hit with a myriad of new challenges, and there's many funding needs uh, in structure and society. So how does that affect our military funding and what can be done about that so we can take care of all areas?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think there. this is a key area where our national leaders, and I'll include me, Others in Congress as well as presidents have not done a, a good job in explaining to the American people the interrelationship between defense and the economy and, and our quality and of, of, of life. Uh, I, I believe everything uh, in this country uh, from longer lifespans to improved standards of living, to uh, you know, increase uh, democratic participation ultimately rests on a foundation of a strong national defense, and especially if you look at what's happened since the end of World War II, the decisions we've made to engage in the world to keep a strong military, and you look at the progress the world has made more uh, none more than individual Americans that 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 those key decisions have provided the foundation upon which enormous progress has been made. So so the way I look at it is in order to have economic growth, in order to have continuing improvement in quality of life, length of life, all of those things, you got to have a strong national defense as, as a basis. And then the other side is That much of the innovation occurs in that growing economy. And we have to bring that into the Department of Defense in order to defend ourselves. It used to be the government could invent whatever we needed to shoot or or fly or whatever. We can't do that anymore. And especially these days where there is this uh, decoupling, as they say, between the U.S. and China, uh, the importance of not only uh, having a innovation base that we can depend on, uh, but seeing that it grows at the appropriate pace when you've got this adversary out there that's throwing money and people and has have no ethical guidelines on what they pursue, it, in, in that sort of competition, we have to have our own economy grow. So it really is chicken and egg. We've got to have both, and they've got to work together. I learned a lot
0: today, and I'm sure our audience did as well. Thank you so much for connecting the dots for us um, on your life, your experiences and your contributions. Appreciate, we appreciate you taking
1: the time to chat with us today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for what y'all do. Thanks so much, Congressman.
0: Thanks again, Congressman Thornberry, for sharing your perspective on DOD spending and acquisitions. Before we go, we should note that after 25 years in Washington, Representative Thornberry has chosen not to run for re-election. So we want to thank him for his service to Texas and the nation. As we've discussed, he's had an impressive career and has made a lasting positive changes for the DOD. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend or colleague. And if you haven't already, be sure to listen to the previous episodes from Tanks to Teleportation to learn more about the exciting work the Defense Innovation Unit is doing. From to Teleportation is a partnership between the Defense Innovation Unit and Founding Media. It's created in Austin, Texas. To learn more about the DIU, please visit our show notes. Thank you for listening.